Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I am here again with Bishop Todd Hunter. Hello, Todd. Good day, Ben. Great to be with you again. I'm loving this series on yes. hope and harsh times. It's yes, great. I am too. And uh, today we're finishing that series, Advent Hope in Harsh Times. We've interviewed, um, I was just thinking back over this, we've interviewed three of our canon theologians, Emily McGowan, Esau McCulley, and Dennis Ockholm, and they uh, their reflections, I think, were appropriately theological. Uh, on hope and um, kind of um, what the Bible has to say about hope and what the black tradition, the black church tradition can teach us about hope and what the second coming has to say about hope. And um, Dennis talked with us about um, how uh, hope must be schooled by patience. And so he's talking about the virtue of patience. Really great. And then two of our local priests, Kimberly Deckel and John Odom, both shared uh, on this theme from a um, a bit more of a personal standpoint of uh, experiences that they've gone through. So listen to those episodes if you haven't. They're really good. Um, I learned a lot and um, was um, yeah edified uh, as we as we did those episodes. They're really good. And today we're finishing up the series, and our guest is Christine Warner, who is the executive director of the Matthew Twenty Five Initiative, which is an Anglican community of biblical justice and mercy contending for shalom in the world, which I love as a vision, a mission statement. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, Matthew 25 later, but um, we're going to have Christine share a bit of her story and how it relates to hope. But Christine, first of all, welcome to the C4SO podcast. Hi, Ben and Bishop Todd. It's a privilege to join you. I love the community yeah. of C4SO. Yeah. And- yeah, it's great to have you. Yeah. Um, maybe, Christine, introduce yourself a little bit more fully uh, for our audience, for people who may not be familiar with who you are, what you get up to. Well, kind of the, the big, long story that defines a lot of who I am is I'm a TCK, grew up in Latin America in the mm. context of civil war and witnessing extreme poverty and earthquakes and coup d'etats. Um, mm. So being in North America... I find over and over that I'm still shaped by that story. My training um, and experience in ministry is everything from campus ministry to parish ministry, um, working incarnationally among the urban poor, and training um, graduate degrees in spiritual theology and uh, rhetoric and critical thinking and uh, philosophy. So hmm. I get the conceptual, th- theological, philosophical approaches. I've taught at the university here in Austin for many hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, but my life has taken such a turn, and all that theology, philosophy, experience, conceptual level hmm. um, has been tested, sifted, and grounded. Yeah. Um, in a plot yeah. twist I wouldn't have planned. 
Yes, yeah. yes. And that you're, you're alluding to um, what we want to talk about today. Um, as we kind of prepared for this episode and emailed back and forth, you mentioned um, something that happened to you. And obviously, uh, we were part of C4SO at the time. And I remember getting the emails and the prayer requests um, about this, uh, this, this terrible accident uh, that had happened for you not too long ago. And how that has, we wanted to talk about how that's changed how you kind of embody and practice hope. So maybe just share that story with us um, and how, how it changed you. And just we'll ask questions as they, as they come to mind, Christine. Thank you. Yeah, I, it feels like I had no idea. There's certain words and concepts that now, two and a half years later, I'm like, I had no idea what hope meant. Mm. I had no idea what glory meant. I have no idea what pain meant. Um, but yes, so two and a half years ago, my kids and I, we had uh, ran out of gas. You expect that with four kids. Eventually, <laughs> something's going to happen like that. Yeah. And um, so putting gas in the car, um, I was hit by a truck. A truck totaled two cars, hit me, totaled another car. It mm. was deemed distracted driving. Sure. Um, I flew and landed in front of our car. Um, I had no breath, no pulse. Eyes were open, unmoving. So if you've not seen a dead body in person, you've seen it in the movies. That's what it looks like. Wow. Um, my kids jumped out, held me. Um, the eyewitness said to my kids, she's gone. My kids yelled at her. <laughs> the first officer on scene wow. deemed me dead on scene, DOS. Um, and manned the scene as if I was gone. Um, and my kids kept praying. Time passed, and I took a breath. My body was disfigured. I, um, I had, my entire face was crushed to the point that they couldn't. There wasn't even pressure for suction for the oxygen mask. Um, I had cranial fractures. All my carotid arteries and vertebral arteries were dissected, lungs punctured, eight fractured ribs, and one of the most concerning was my liver was totally split, feet mm. crushed. So I, emergency um, ambulance and everybody, there were so many. Um, I, I got to meet them a year later, 47 people. Wow. worked on me in the first six hours or on the scene. Oh, man. And um, it's there's no explanation. They were so certain I would pass on the way to the hospital. They hmm. broke protocol and asked my husband to be with me so there'd be someone with me while I pass. Oh, I was on the threshold for about five days in ICU for weeks and then rehab hospital. We have a trauma hospital here in Austin, where we live, and the top neurosurgeon said, we have four cases as severe as yours a year with this many multi-trauma injuries that any one of them should have taken you out. None of them make it. Mm. We don't know how you made it, wow. why you made it. Um, mm. So that's just the medical side of it. Um, I mean, you trip in the mystery so fast. Yeah. I hold suffering of others. So why this time, this way, God intervened? I don't know. Was it 
God's decision? Did we have a conversation saying, I choose to live? Was it the prayers of God's people? Was it angels? I just, hmm. mystery upon mystery, it just, I'm alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the medical part. Yeah. As I was unconscious. Yeah, the facts. The facts For 10 of days, that. there's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, why don't you uh, continue to, to tell us that story? Because um, I think, you know, that just sort of <laughs> taking that in. Um, is uh, it is it is a remarkable, uh, a remarkable story, um, and it's a remarkable story of obviously you know this feels like a miracle, right? That you that you even lived through this, um, but uh, by the same token, you alluded to earlier that um, there's pain, there's suffering, and that there's something like the story isn't over just because you survived here, um, and so maybe talk a little bit more about that, like what. What happens on the other side of surviving something like this? Yeah. Well, one one other piece in the story that that um, shapes everything else is that while the in those ten days of not having conscious memory of the outside world, I had a very vivid memory. I still it's still very fresh to me of an interior spiritual world where mm. the battle was taking place and. In the conversation around hope, um, this is very core. And the battle scene for me was, and I think for most Christians, we believe death is come home, come into your rest, right? Mm -hmm. To die is gain. In this case, I don't know. All I can imagine is that God chose. Um, but there was a scene that played out multiple rounds um, I was on the threshold of life and death multiple times, and so I wonder, I'll get the director's cut in heaven of whether these matched up, but <laughs> the it was it was a battle scene between life and death. On the right was death, on the left was life, and on the right hand, it was very dark, and the message was, you're tired, don't you want to give up? It's too hard. I win anyway. It's really the voice of, of the Prince of Darkness. And it was powerful beckoning, sucking in its strength. And with it came images of death, despair, uh, destruction, come almost like a slideshow. Hmm. And on the left was life, but in th three layers. And life was kind of the strong, glowing, but there was something in front of it and something behind it. In front of it was pain. Hmm. And every time I considered life, I knew it meant pain. Hmm. It meant a choice for pain. Hmm. And if I was going to choose life, I would have to choose to walk through pain. Wow. Um, and I would turn from considering death to considering life, knowing that one was, it just, that seemed very attractive. Um, hmm. But the kicker is, as I told you, there's something in front of life, pain, but there was something behind life, and standing behind life was the presence of Jesus. I can't describe features or details, but it was clearly Christ. Hmm. Light, golden, searing glory. 
And he just, he stood there looking at me, not moving, not chasing me, allowing me to choose. There was a sense of angelic presence, but it was him. And I knew that I felt tired, so tortured with pain. They couldn't sedate me with intubation, so they liken it to waterboarding. Your body thinks it's drowning, suffocating. And they, I, it was, and then the physical. So Hmm. I knew that to, I didn't want to choose life Hmm. because of the pain. But I'm looking at him and I say, I like, you're the one I've loved. Hmm. So I I choose you. If, Hmm. If you're the one deciding it's life, then I choose life, I choose pain. And so, yeah, you referred to kind of the the dramatic, and I would call, when talking about hope or a lot of this journey, there's year two versus year one. Year one is very dramatic, battle, tons of support, miracle, experience of God, like gold-dusted presence. Year two is The supports are gone. The ongoing pain is very ordinary, gritty, requires many small choices. Pain is very lonely and isolating. And without hope, so coming back to hope, then hope becomes very gritty and practical. Because if you... If I have hope, so all my senses are compromised, if I have hope that my vision can improve, I will do the exercises that give me pretty severe headaches five times a day. If I have hope that there's calling and purpose, I'll, I'll, I'll walk mm-hmm. when it's painful to walk. If I have hope, that he's still making all things new, then I'll say yes to Jesus again and again and again. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. And, well, and and I think that's where I know our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in extreme poverty um, they live with an awareness mm. of heaven, you know, that kind of year one mm. epic miracles that they mm. they're heaven's very present to them. So that yeah. that future orientation, but they still have to have that year two, year five, mm. year 10, year 20 hope where they one woman um, at the garbage dump in Guatemala, she plants a rose bush mm. in the middle of the garbage dump. So where it's there are vultures, the stench is powerful, but there's mm. a, there are red roses, and that's mm. an act yeah. of hope, right? That's prophetic yeah, beautiful. work. Yeah, I'm really struck, uh, Christine, by that image of uh, the temptation, you know, you, that you had in this kind of. Um, you know, somewhat mystical kind of vision that I think all of us, though, embrace in whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're um, uh, 
whatever we're struggling with to, to have hope in, like there is the same kind of struggle. So I'm struck by that, um, the despair of why even try? I'm going to win anyway, you know, um, that kind of thing. And then realizing, though, that choosing life, choosing love, choosing hope also means choosing pain. And that, that, that's the reason that this is difficult, right? That, th- that hope is not like this Pollyanna kind of, um, it's not a numbing or a medicating of pain. It's not a way of, because um, I think sometimes we have that idea, don't we? That, that hope, like to, to have hope is to sort of shut off my pain receptors or to, or to um, sort of choose to ignore the hard things of the, of the world or choose to ignore the hard parts about my story right now. But in fact, you're saying that those two things actually go together, that choosing hope means choosing pain. Um, not for its own sake, but because you know, you know what I mean? You know what lies on the other side of that pain, which is, which is life and Jesus and hope uh, for the future. So I was just, I'm, just, I'm struck by that. I don't, I don't necessarily even have a question. I just wanted to comment on it and say I appreciate the image. So, Bishop Todd, what... Uh, yeah, go ahead. It has to be grounded. In no, I the... think there's a delay oh, uh, in, in the in the internet connection here, so I think we we end up kind of talking over each other. Go ahead. There, it has to be grounded in what? And okay. then Bishop Todd, I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are. It has to be, yeah. It has to be yeah. grounded in the big story, and this is where I think mm-hmm. it matters that we're followers of Christ because the big story is that we're. Is, is that we're created from and for mm. pure presence with yeah. God, for shalom. And that, for me, shalom, again, I'm like, it's very practical because, like, all that richness of the word, that shalom is our origin, shalom is our destiny. Mm. It's where we're headed. But along the way, God is breaking in with shalom. Mm. He's making all things new. He's shaloming the world. And we get to be in that shaloming, but it's grounded in all the brokenness of not shalom, of all the ugliness. And, and, And then the press in the places of pain and suffering and grit. And the truth is, suffering comes to us all eventually. Like, there's no escaping it. And so what does it mean to be deeply naming and honest of suffering while prophetically contending for shalom and having the eyes to see that his favorite thing Mm -hmm. is turning ashes to beauty? Even when the beauty yeah. still like has is still ashy, yeah. um, but it it has to be like there's no there's no beauty without the like the ugliness mm-hmm. defines it you know it just but the biggest story is that shalom story and so when we get lost and despairing we hold the two in conversation with each other. Hey everyone, it's time once again for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan 
Cycle of Prayer. And this week we are praying for Christ Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, which is where I live, um, led by um, Reverend Todd Fisher. And he's joined us here to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for Christ Church. Todd, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thanks, Ben. I feel very welcomed. Very good. Um, I'll ask you the same three questions I ask everybody. We'll start with just one thing that you're encouraged by right now um, at, that's going on uh, for you and for Christchurch. I would say that the opportunities that technology is affording right now, we historically mm -hmm. have not used very much technology, and in particular, we've done some online uh, classes. Uh, we just went through the Color of Compromise with some groups, and um, we're about to go through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and doing these courses online as groups, yeah, it just feels like a, a unique new opportunity for us. Yeah, very good. Um, how about one challenge that you're facing right now in the midst of this year? It's probably also the technology. <laughs> probably like most people in their responses um, is. is that there's a, just a general weariness and maybe not just around doing church online, but especially for families who have kids that are the studying kids, from yeah. home, e-learning, those sorts of things. I've got two kids that are e-learning right now. So yeah, mm. I would say that our, our challenge just would be a general weariness right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that as well. The online church... Um, I think it's hardest for those with young kids. Yeah. Um, that's just, you know, it's really, really difficult. So yeah. feeling that as well. Yeah. In light of these things, uh, Todd, how can we pray for you and for Christ Church? We would so appreciate prayer. And I think this is a common prayer request for vision. Um, this is a time when, yeah, we're discovering new ways to do things and hopeful for things in the future. But we don't just want to endure through this season, but we want to have vision to see what God's doing right now. And also a, a sense of the things that he's doing that are going to lead us to where he has for us in the future. So, yeah, prayers for vision. Great. Great. So vision, uh, not just for the future, but um, I heard you say vision for now. To have well. his just eyes for like, now. What, yeah. what are you doing right now, God? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. All right. Well, I'll take those prayers as well. Um, thanks for joining us, uh, Todd, today on this segment. Uh, it was great to have you. Thanks, Ben. Uh, friends, if you'd like to find more, find out more about Christ Church or contribute to their work, just check out the link in the show notes, and we will see you next time. So I had the um, <clears throat> remarkable privilege of seeing Christine, I think, the second day, after, not the day of the accident, but the next day. I was meant to come to Dallas for work, and so I just came, I don't remember now, because it was a couple of years ago, a day or two early, and went to Austin instead. Hmm. And I have to say, Ben, I've personally never seen a human being more injured than Christine once when she tells that story. She's She's just kind of given the highlights, and... Many people listening will know her husband, Cliff, and standing by her bed with Cliff, and Cliff explaining to me that, as Christine said, that there was no like ex expectation that she would live. There was hope, but there was no like, oh, like we got this, and yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. don't worry, she'll be fine. It was yeah. the exact opposite of that. So, I, you know, uh, our listeners can't see that we can see each other on the screen. So when I look at 
Christine's thin face today. Um, when I saw her two and a half years ago, her head literally looked like a bowling ball or something even. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. So I say that just to underscore, Christine, I wonder if you could, having told your story, I wonder if you could speak into our situation here mid to late December 2020. Um, you know, in the way, like you said, you had your arteries, there was your face and brain, there was the liver. Mm. I remember seeing your mangled foot or an ankle. I don't remember exactly what was wrong now, but, but like you said, you were broken in several different ways. And, um, you know, we're living in times that are broken in several different ways. It feels broken politically. It feels broken with the pandemic. It feels yeah. broken with racism. And now the church is increasingly broken in division over those sorts of things. Yeah. And part of the reason you know, Ben and Andrea and I and others decided to do this topic is that it feels like you said, nitty gritty practical. Yeah. So what can those of us who are just trying to live this pedestrian life in America in late 2020, what can we learn from what you learned? Prior to the accident, I had already felt like I was in the school of suffering as someone who cultivated a theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. The accident, accident thrust me into solidarity that I would mm -hmm. never have planned or um, wanted. But so, sorry, Christine, you were thinking about suffering, if I remember right, in relation to your work with the vulnerable and the marginalized, right, and the poor. Yeah. So you were thinking about suffering with reference to that, right? Like, so suffering with reference to others, and then suddenly it broke in on you, right? Yeah, and yeah. I had already learned that Christ, that encountering Christ in those places of brokenness, like where, where the storyline feels like there's no way it can get it can end well and yeah. then and the needs are so greater than the resources like it's the impossible story and then encountering christ among the vulnerable the marginalized and the under-resourced the really broken places of our communities mm -hmm. and already like i was hooked by then and that i want to be near that hearth but I, and I thought I understood sort of maybe, I don't know, now being on kind of, and I think anyone that experiences a multi-trauma event, life altering, um, it changes and you cross over into this space. Mm -hmm. I already knew that those who had suffered more outwardly or more outwardly um, poor or broken were icons, mm. places of encounter with Christ in true Matthew 25 language of this is nowhere in scripture does it say, if you want to be near me, right here is yep. where you go. Yep. And then I think also I learned that they were my well, they were my teachers, and 
that upside down kingdom way mm-hmm. and then being thrust into it personally and watching the world. So what you reference of 2020 and the suffering have already been suffering and now there's more suffering, but everyone else has been pushed into greater yeah. proximity oh. of yes. suffering. Yes. Um, I do think one of the first things is we go to our teachers. We go to those that have suffered greatly and have had to live with obstacles Mm. and disempowerment and limits. I think anybody who's experienced physical suffering knows that it's not just physical, it's it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual, it's we're all of a whole. It's relational, as you said, it's very lonely. It's relational. My entire relational landscape. I mean, now I have lots of trauma friends and (laughs) and struck by so many of the people that i miraculously don't live with chronic pain Mm. i expect that i have so many friends that do and most of the ones that are close to me that do are the ones that are most generous to me Mm. so you're just again you're just like trafficking in the stuff of the kingdom. So to your question of how do we respond to these times, we go back to the big story. Who holds who holds the biggest story? Mm. And how do we understand that God is working in it? There's no, and I think it's so Advent grounded, right? We're looking to the future of a coming but it's very much still present Mm -hmm. and we can't just keep thinking it's going to end it's going to end it's how does jesus break into these places of pain Mm -hmm. and weakness and that it still it feels like so much of the church still wants to traffic in the currency of the world of power Mm -hmm. intelligence capacity energy Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite discoveries, like who knew? I didn't know this. Uh, J.I. Packer was one of my professors. Um, he was hit by a truck at a young mm-hmm. age. Really? It's not a club you want to be a part of. <laughs> no. No. Nobody, nobody joins of their own about, volition. Yeah. No, but he talks about like this is the place of. It's in weakness. We, we just, he says, many believers desperately try to be self-sufficient, resenting their needs and limitations, but reflecting on his own life experience of frailty, embracing it, looking to Christ for The things that we claim that it's in weakness and strength. Mm-hmm. Um, creation is telling us this story all over the place that in unexpected places, um, in the middle of concrete, a sprig of a plant of a tree bursts through, cracks through the cement. Mm -hmm. And so I think, again, to your question, that we've got to go back to the big story and that somehow it's in these broken places and places of weakness these are his favorite places. Mm-hmm. It's his own story wow. of 
my I was I was intubated and I had to be strapped down because I kept trying to pull the tube out because I was in so much pain and that let the lack of agency and the lack of power there mm. like that is what Jesus himself chose right that complete naked bearing and that is the where the greatest the, the, the hinge point in the entire story takes place where his glory is revealed. So mm. coming back to it is now in this place of suffering. There's not going to be an escaping of it. Mm. And then how do we choose courage in very ordinary, gritty ways? And yeah. courage is tied to hope. If you don't have hope, you won't choose courage. And you, I mean, courage fatigue is real, but... To make the decisions every day to love, to press in, to push against the darkness, to believe that the light that the cross tells us and that God's saying, as we throw at him every suffering, every problem, he goes, I've got that. I've got that. I've, it On the cross, I got it. So, Ben, now you see why Christine's one of my heroes. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite sure if I were intubated, my hands tied down. I feel like I'm quite sure I would have been sorely tempted to choose death. Like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. Um, yeah. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Ben. But I just want to say there's been a theme, and I wonder if it's something the Holy Spirit's trying to say to all of us. And I hear Christine saying it too, that we tend to think like suffering is one discrete thing. Hmm. It's a It's a bucket. Um, and then the, like hope is some another sort of discrete thing in its own little bucket. And I feel like what everybody said to us in this series is no, hope is experienced precisely within yes. pain and suffering and, yes. and what you might think of as otherwise hopelessness. Um, and several of our teachers in this series have brought us back to transcendence as Christine's doing in her own way. Yeah. So th those things are standing out to me yeah i i uh me too I, I think that um that's what you know i hear you christine saying that we we learn to hope in the midst of suffering and that hope is different from wishful thinking hope yeah. isn't uh, you know like convincing yourself the pandemic's going to end at this point you know hope is you know it's not uh, sort of a wish for your circumstances to change but it's precisely in the midst of your suffering, realizing that there is a greater good that is present and that God uh, is, God has made promises that he is going to keep um, that, yeah. that will bring about the end of suffering, that will bring about the end of evil and wickedness and poverty yeah. and all of, the, all of the things that cause human suffering. Um, and it's the present practice of holding on to those promises and, and trusting um, that there is a greater reality than than my suffering, even in the midst of my suffering, which allows me to walk through my suffering yeah. uh, without, you know, um, turning away from it or trying to ignore it or just desperately trying to get out of it. Um, which is, I think, something that, you know, the circumstances of 2020 have thrust a lot of us into, uh, you know, uh, without our choosing. Um, 
And one of the things, maybe as we close here, Christine, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, we return to our teachers and by our teachers, you are referring to the poor. You're referring to those who suffer. Um, And this dovetails with your work with Matthew 25. And I wonder if you could maybe just talk a little bit about that. Um, If people are realizing, you know, maybe, maybe one of the things I need to do in the midst of this suffering is, is get in touch with people who can teach me to suffer better, <laughs> get in touch with people who can teach me to suffer well, um, you know, maybe be involved in justice and mercy and, and all the things that Matthew 25 is involved with. So just say a little bit about Matthew 25 and what you do and how that's connected uh, in your mind to the themes that we've been talking about today. Yeah. I think the sooner we let go of the idea that suffering is sort of a derailment, in, in some ways, we, we press into the places of brokenness because Christ himself says he's there. Yeah. And Isaiah 58, um, I, we can't go into it, but if, if for all anyone listening, hang out there for a long time mm-hmm. because some of our deepest and greatest longings are met by pressing into places of brokenness. Yes. The marginalized, the vulnerable, the suffering, the poor, the quartet of the vulnerable of, of the Old Testament, the widow, the orphan, the, the foreigner, um, mm-hmm. the stranger. And in Matthew 25 world, and th- these are all Anglicans who are right there on the front lines. They're not just talking about racial brokenness conceptually. Mm. They're in the grit, mm. mending systems and structures. Um, they're pre- helping prevent, they're helping turn the, turn the storyline, right? Mm. Those that are hungry, that have no home, yeah. um, when you're there, when you have not enough loaves and fishes, then you have to press into, where are you, God, to, to multiply those? And in North America, Canada, U.S., Mexico, our Anglican family is right there, all over the place. And we have, and and things, the upside-down kingdom is happening right and left because we have refugees that have, like, they're from, um, you know, just they, they're they're from Rwanda and from um, the Congo and all these different African countries, so the most beautiful dark skin. They are farming, growing food as fast as they can <laughs> because there's a f- they're offering a free farmer's market mm. to hungry white citizens. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, how many layers? Oh, and there's, um, there's combat female veterans who are partnering next to them. It's like, it's so beautiful. And then we have so many hospice, I mean, really hospice chaplains, I think because they're always at the threshold. They're remarkably joyful, funny, um, spunky people. And then we have um, those that, I mean, anybody involved in homeless ministry, um, they're involved with the food insecurity. And there's just and counties and municipalities and states are coming to our Matthew 25 people saying, all right, 
can we give you money? Can we help you? Because they're the ones with the legit cred on the ground. Mm. Uh, there's just, there's wow. so many stories of wow. beauty of and those that, and there are Anglicans that are like barely Anglicans. They're like, can I care <laughs> about justice and mercy and be Anglican? Can I care about the Eucharist? And we're saying, oh my gosh, we come by it so legitimately. Yes. Historically, yes. Anglicans have done it right and left. AA, I mean, all these mm-hmm. organizations that the hospice movement and, of course, Truth and Reconciliation, everyone knows William Wilberforce, right? But, mm-hmm. um, and then globally, our global Anglican family. So this is our story as yeah. Anglicans. This is not yeah. new. It just yeah. seems that North Americans have kind of forgotten it. Yeah. And so we come back to this place, and Matthew 25 is about both companioning those in the trenches mm-hmm. and helping, kind of walking in that priestly role of representing the least of these to a community, a province, a denomination, and a denomination to the least of these and saying, hmm. we desperately need each other intrinsically because it's biblical gospel, the heart of the gospel, instrumentally because it's our witness, right? Mm. It's our missional presence. The world is watching. They may not, they might think we're weird because of things we believe, (laughs) but it's a mic drop when we, when it's tangible witness of love, the gospel in action, right? And the next generation, this is non-negotiable for them. Yes. They see the pain. Mm -hmm. And for them, it's the gospel, Jesus, and being at the most broken places. Anyway, if you yeah. can't tell, beautiful, I get excited because yeah. <laughs> because for me, 2020 has been, these have been the places of hope and energy. And at the end of it, there's mm. so much that I can name and lament. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Lots to lament. Yeah. But here, in these spaces and what I've seen, yeah. The world's being mended. There's hope. It's mm. really practical. The yes. at-risk native, uh, you know, sixth grader is mm-hmm. getting mentored by because they don't have internet, yeah. and an a Anglican community is showing up on the doorstep, sitting there socially distanced, mm. teaching them how to make sure they don't get behind, yeah. and that education is a pathway. So. I could Beautiful. go on and on and on, oh, that's, but that's it does. This so is great. where hope is gritty. It's yes. gritty. Yes, yes. It sh- it shows up on the ground. Well, I, that's that's beautiful. Um, and I do I do wish we had you know maybe uh, three maybe four more hours and you could uh, yeah. <laughs> regale us with uh, stories um, and maybe we'll have you back on uh, in the new year. Um, uh, another time, Christine, maybe to talk a little bit more in detail about Matthew 25 and the work that you're doing. Um, because you, you're right, this justice is not something that we need to bolt onto Anglicanism. You know, it, it has been inherent in our tradition, historically, theologically, from day one. Um, and I really uh, appreciate your work, and I thank you for helping us see this and for um, continuing to, uh, to champion this and to organize us uh, in this way. Um, you can go to anglicanjusticeandmercy.org, uh, which is the homepage of Matthew 25 Initiative. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, if you'd like to check out more uh, about their work, they just had a gathering. There's a report. Uh, it's a, just a beautiful report of some of the work yeah. uh, that's happening out there. Um, Christine, thanks so much yeah, for joining you, us. If you want to drink from a little well of hope. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Ben. If you want to no, drink from good. a little well of hope, yeah. read Christine's report. It'll, yes. 
It's, it'll, it's uh, beautiful. Bring hope. It is really, really good. Yeah. Yes. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Great it's to a have you. Privilege to be able to. I don't. I love telling the story of the accident because it's zero to my credit. Right. Mm. All mm-hmm. I did was get hit by a truck, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of it is God's story. Yeah. And yeah. I'm jealous for His glory in it. I can't mm. taste or smell. So it, I still have the opportunity often when mm. I'm at a restaurant and my server, I'm, we're trying to brainstorm mm. what I, what has value for texture. I get to tell the story mm. and I get to say the name of Jesus. Mm. So I do love telling that because it's God's. And then I do love talking about Matthew 25 because it's, it's his magic. It's where mm. he does his magic. Beautiful. Well, I really appreciate you uh, doing that with us today. Um, And uh, for our listeners, uh, a blessed Advent to you all. This finishes our Advent Hope in Harsh Times series and also Merry Christmas coming up. Uh, Next week, we're going to have a Christmas message from Bishop Todd. And we're excited for 2021. Um, we've got, we're going to hear from some other leaders in C4SO and we've got some uh, exciting stuff planned. And perhaps we'll have Christine on again uh, to share some more stories from what's happening Uh, in Anglican justice and mercy. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Ben. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.